Well, one thing I've learned this week is that America's meme game is really strong. <laughs> it is strong. I mean, I've seen some good zinger kind of memes out there, all right? Um, I had a post on Facebook uh, mentioning that, and um, lo and behold, I did not realize people were going to give me all kinds of memes. If you got some that aren't there, please share, <laughs> all right? Let's, let's be generous during this time. Um, boy, it's been, it's been a wild week, my goodness. A week ago, I would have never foreseen things to be where they're at today, but, uh, but that's just the way things often are. And so, uh, as Erica was mentioning, we're just thankful that we get to gather in person and online. And as we tell you all the time, you're not at church today. Um, but those who are online are with the church today, and you are with the church today. Because the church is not a building, it is the people. And so, nothing's going to stop the church, Jesus tells us. Not even the gates of hell are going to prevail against it. So whether we're gathering online or gathering in person or a combination of the two, uh, we're doing church. We're having church because we are the church. This is going to take place. Uh, man, as, as we've been following things online, you know, it's, it's wild the amount of, of fear that grips so many of us. And, and it's totally understandable. Uh, the coronavirus began several months ago in Wuhan, uh, city of Wuhan in China, and is now, as of yesterday, some 150,000 people have been infected by it. And you know there have been many deaths and many other uh, just concerns that go with it and how easily it spreads. I think that's been one of the most uh, surprising things is the quickness by which it all spreads. And one thing that, as I was thinking this past week, um, realizing that God's people need to hear a word from God uh, concerning this situation. So typically, you know, we've been going through the book of Romans. Uh, we press pause. We're going to press pause this week uh, from that series. And I want to speak directly to the matter of what are we to do in troubled times. Okay, I, I, I'm, if you're like me, man, I want to hear, like, God, what do you have to say for us right now? Okay, so, uh, so we, we could have gone on, and that would have been okay to preach from Romans. But I just really believe God wanted us to change course for this week at least. Historically, the church has led the charge during epidemics. This is important for us to understand. This is not the first time the globe has seen an epidemic since Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Nor will it be the last time if we are readers of the book of Revelation. But one thing we do know is since Jesus' ascension, the church has led the charge. One of the brothers here at the Brook texted me this week saying, I'm praying for revival. And, and that, prayer, that text came through like a ton of bricks because at the time I was consumed with, what are we going to do for Sunday? Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? Uh, Tito, can you get the live stream going? Can you work that out? It's Thursday. You got that going, right? And this text came through and it's like, you know what? We, we got to pray for revival. It's interesting. In the year 165 A.D., uh, smallpox hit the Roman Empire. It was quite a foreign uh, um, understanding of what was taking place, and for 15 years, it ravaged the empire. Studies showed that from one-fourth to one-third of the entire Roman Empire died during those 15 years period, even the emperor Marcus Aurelius in 180 A.D. That, that's, that's telling. In 251 A.D., measles hit the empire. And at its peak, some 5,000 people a day died in the Roman Empire. Uh, th these are telling statistics. But what's also telling 
is that when these kind of things, this, these epidemics, ask, what do I believe? Paganism was rampant in the Roman Empire during the time, and paganism wasn't going to get people through trials. Whatever the worldview it is, Jesus' church has the answer in the midst of our suffering. And this we need to hold on to. The church has to function in this way. In fact, of this time in the empire, St. Cyprian, who now we know him as St. Cyprian, he said this, Our brethren, who have been freed from the world by the summons of the Lord, should not be mourned, since we know that they are not lost, but sent before us. You see, when the church of Jesus Christ has a hope that goes beyond this life, we are able to understand that even in our suffering, even in death, we've got a hope that goes beyond the grave. This is reason to hope. Dionysus, another church father, said most of our brothers, our brother and sister Christians, showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. This is what the church did in the midst of epidemics. They looked outside of themselves and said, how can we love other people? He goes on to say this, the best of our brothers lost their lives in this matter. A number of presbyters, deacons, and laymen winning high commendation so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith, seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. He's saying, look, when the church is hit with epidemic, when the world is hit with epidemics, it's time for the church to love others radically. And in so doing, through our love, we tell people that there is a hope that goes beyond this life. That's what we are called to do. One historian named Rodney Stark, he says this in his book, The Rise of Christianity. During times like these, it's incumbent upon us to again read the words of Jesus when he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. You did it for me. Ronnie Starr goes on to write, when the New Testament was new, (laughs) these were the norms of Christian communities. Another church father, Tertullian, said this, it is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. And he says, this is what the opponents say. They say, look, look how they love one another. Church, this is time for the world to get a taste of the church's radical love. They need to see us loving each other. They need to see us loving them. This is what we were made for. This is what God has called us to do. And so here we are as a church with a literal pandemic on our hands, and we're called to trust and to be light. Now today we're not going to promote fear. We're actually going to promote faith. And we're going to do so by looking at Psalm chapter 34, verses 1 through 10. We're going to see in the passage that the size of our God reflects the size of our effectiveness. You serve a little God, you see little things. But when we recognize we serve a great God, we are going to see great things from him. 
and we need to work and live in such a way. So if you're at home with us, would you turn your to Psalm chapter 34? And those who are here at the brook, let's all stand up together in your home or here in person to honor God's word and to recognize it for what it is, his very words. Psalm 34. I'm going to read the prescript, which precedes verse 1 here. Psalm of David. When he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove them out and he went away. And this is what David writes. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually, can you say continually no matter where you're at right now? Continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see. Can you say taste and see? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Father in heaven, we come, Lord, and ask that you would speak through me to each of our hearts, God. Lord, you call us to trust you, to fear you, God. No matter what comes our way, and a lot is coming our way, God. And so we want to hold tightly to you. And God, I thank you again for the opportunity to uh, strengthen and refresh and renew each other as we feast upon your word. God, for the anxious, would you put us at ease? For the sick, would you heal them, Lord? For the worry, would you give them peace? For your church, would you mobilize us through prayer and love? We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Psalm 34 is an acrostic, which means that each verse starts with a, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and each successive or subsequent verse goes to the next letter. So, for example, if it was a psalm in the English language, it would have 26 verses, and each verse would start with letter A, then B, then C, all the way down to Z. This is uh, an acrostic poem written just to help for memory and to, I believe, in many ways show us that God is good from A to Z, from Aleph to Tav, from the start to the finish. We've seen the prescript, the context behind this passage. Now, I love when the Psalms give us these prescripts because what they do is ultimately tell us the situation or circumstance behind the writing of the psalm. And we see here that the psalm was written by King David before he was king when he was on the run from King Saul. 
It tells us that when he went to Abimelech, now I'm going to give us the cliff note version of this story. If we were able to read 1 Samuel chapter 21, we would see that in this passage, David is fleeing from King Saul, afraid for his life. He is broke, he is afraid, and he's got nothing going for him, so much so that he goes to a place called Gath. This is a radical thing, because there was someone else in David's life that was from Gath, a certain giant named Goliath. David walks in to the guy's house, essentially, that he executed to show God's power over the Philistine armies. He goes into this guy's city trying to find refuge because he could find it nowhere else. you got to be desperate to do that. He shows up. The irony is the, soul, the sword he wields is actually Goliath's sword that he picked up on his way to, to the Philistine land. I'm thinking the people are probably saying, I've seen that sword before, David. And in fact, what happens is the Philistines begin to murmur. In fact, the song was sung, David, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. You remember that viral hit that went through YouTube back then, right? Everyone knew who David was. And David starts fearing for his life, but now he's stuck in a foreign land. What David ends up doing when he's confronted by the king is pretend to be a madman. He starts letting drool come down his face, beard. He starts murmuring and making marks on the door. And finally, he was so persuasive, he deserved a Grammy. Oscar. Wrong one. The king says, don't I've got enough madmen in my kingdom that you bring this guy to me? Get him out of here. David gets out safely, goes to a cave called Adalam, picks up his pen and writes Psalm 34. And he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. How is David able to praise God, a good God, when things seem so bad? Look what he says. I will bless the Lord at all times. To bless God is synonymous with praising God. In in fact, we see there in verse 1 what the was called synonymous, synonymous parallelism. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. He's saying the same thing twice. It's a parallel statement, and they are synonymous. I will bless, I will praise at all times, continually in my mouth. David is saying, this is where I'm at. And when I read this, I think, wow, what of the substance of this man's faith? But then as I kept reading, I'm thinking, no, 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 no. What about the substance of this man's God? You see, the psalm is not about how great David is to trust God when all life was falling apart, but the psalm is about the God that we can trust when all our lives are falling apart. (laughs) David is here going through the uncertainties we're going through in the United States and across the world. We feel like we have no control because we have no control. David is there broke, scared, and in no control, and he says, I'm still going to come to God. I will bless the Lord at all times. He's not just blessing anybody. He's not just praising anybody, but he's praising the Lord. 
In your Bibles, you notice the word Lord is all capitals, which is to signify that in Hebrew, it is the name of Yahweh that David is praising. I will bless Yahweh. The name Yahweh has at its root, I am that I am, which is to say he is the self-existent one who's got no beginning and he's got no ending. This God that David is praising is the omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, sovereign God of the Bible. Nothing gets in his way. And David is here out of control, trusting the God who is in control. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Circumstances will not dictate his praise, church. Our world needs to see this kind of worship from the people of God. Let's not marvel in the worshiper, but marvel in the one do, in whom we worship. Let's bless the Lord. Let's praise his Lord. And in verse 2, David says, My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Praising is boasting. Worshiping is bragging. It's not bragging in self, but it's bragging in the one in whom we're trusting. David is like, here I am, I am trusting God, no matter what. His praise will continually be in my mouth. No matter we are on the run, no matter we're in danger, no matter we're in humble to join with. I'm inviting all who are humble to join with me in this praise, to come and worship God for who he is. He goes on in verse 3 to make this invitation that is mind-blowing. He says, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. To magnify something is to put it under a magnifying glass, so to speak. And when you do that, you're able to see more of the details of the thing you are looking at. When you look at a small object, it magnifies, it becomes bigger and you see it. But when you look at a big object, you realize how big it really is. David is inviting God's people to put God on the magnifying glass. And to look at the details of who he is, his faithfulness, his power, and his might. And it says, let us exalt the name of God together. And I love that we are exalting God's name at 3105 North Oak Park. And we're exalting God's name in your kitchen, in your living room, in your dining room, perhaps in your car, on your computer. We are doing this, and we're doing it together. Because we can worship God in spirit and in truth and is not limited to an address. We're doing what David invites us to do. But when I read this, I'm thinking, how is David able to do this? I mean, how can we worship God? Yeah, we know this about God, but how can we worship him? How can he worship God when broke on the run and in danger hiding out in a cave with no one around but some, a bunch of misfits. What we see here is that David is able to praise God no matter what because David has experienced God. He's experienced his goodness. Look what he says in verse 4. I sought to the Lord and he answered me. 
We can praise God no matter what because we know that when we pray to God, he hears us. He says a similar statement there in verse 6. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him. God hears you when you cry. God hears you when you're afraid. God hears the cries of his people. And that's reason to praise him. God heard Moses in his inadequacy. God heard Rahab in her desolate home. God heard David when he was outmatched by a Goliath-sized problem. God heard Jonah when he was at the belly of the consequence of his rebellion. God heard Daniel in that fearful den of lions. God heard Mary in her vulnerable youthfulness. And God will hear you, whether you're quarantined by illness or you feel quarantined by fear. Whether you're quarantined by shame or you're quarantined by guilt. When you feel isolated, God hears your prayers. And because he hears your prayers, we can give him praise. David is able to praise because he's experienced God's goodness and the fact that God hears his prayer. But God also does this. David said, I've seen God deliver me in verse 4. But look what he delivers him from. He says, you've delivered me from all of my fears. If fear has the power to cripple a nation, which it has done, it has the capacity to sabotage a soul. So when we come to God and he casts out fear, then we can hold on to him in faith. We don't, let, we don't need to let fear sabotage our lives or our souls. Yes, we got to walk in wisdom, church, don't we? Yes, we got to prepare. Yes, we have to be uh, a discerning, but that doesn't mean we walk in fear. And David has seen that God has delivered him from both his fears, but also in verse 6, he has saved him out of all of his troubles. He said, I'm going to worship God because I've seen him come through in my life. And right now things are bad, but he's come through before, and he'll come through again. So I will praise him because he answers and hears my prayers. I will praise him because he delivers me from fear. And he says, I will praise him because it allows me, in verse 5, to radiate with his confidence. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces will never be ashamed. Man, I was so encouraged yesterday. I was talking to one of our brothers here at the brook. And he said a co-worker came up to him and basically asked him, like, hey, look, I know you're a, a man of faith. I, I see you're at peace right now. How are you able to do this? And right away, this brother began to share with me what he was telling with this friend about how Jesus is that anchor. He's solid. You can't, you, you know, you're with him. You have hope. Uh, he keeps you strong and safe and secure in his will. And he went on to talk about this. And I said, you know what was pretty cool? Not only that he saw that you were at peace, but that he knew already where your peace came from. That's someone who's walking in confidence. Church, when we are walking in confidence, it radiates. Just like fear radiates. And what David is able to say is what God wants all of us to say, I've got no control of my external situations but I'm going to radiate with confidence because God's in control of my soul. Yeah. 
So much so that people need to come to you and be like, look, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do here, but you seem to have a lot of peace. And you can tell them, look, I don't have it in and of myself. I'm not strong by my own strength. The early church, the way they served those with smallpox and measles was not because they were just inherently courageous people. It's because they knew that in life or death, they belong to the Lord. That's the kind of hope we need to have. We can praise God when we've experienced his goodness and given us confidence. But David goes on and says there's more reason to praise him from his experience. Because in ver- in there we see there in verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. David's like, look, God's angels are always looking over us. And in fact, if we want to look more particularly, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament seems to be often synonymous with God himself. And this is a, a, a wild thing because we don't find the angel of the Lord revealing himself in the New Testament. And what most biblical scholars do is conclude that the angel of the Lord revealed in the Old Testament is the pre-incarnate son of God. You see, we serve a God who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, eternally past and eternally future, always existing, three and yet one. And what David is coming to understand is that there is a complexity in his God, but he knows that God, that the Lord, will always surround him. This is the testimony we find throughout the Old Testament. Although these things happen after David's life, I'm reminded of 2 Kings chapter 6. When the Syrian army is there mustered against God's people and Elisha is there. He's in his home and Elisha's fellow friend, minister, is beginning to get kind of worried. He's asking Elisha, look, the armies are mounted up against us. And Elisha then prays, God. Let him see what I see right now. He says, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. And then it says this, So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Elisha understood that the angel of the Lord and God's armies encamped around him. And because of it, he was confident. Or I'm thinking of the story in 2 Kings 19 when King Hezekiah finds the mighty Assyrian army at the footsteps of his kingdom. They had already conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, and now they're there knocking on the door of the southern kingdom of Judah. And Hezekiah is there, knowing he's outnumbered, cries out and prays to God. And God says this, I will defend this city to save it. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. Hezekiah realized that the angel of the Lord encamped around him. Church, look at here. When we understand that God, by his Holy Spirit, is within us, when the Son of Jesus, the Son Jesus is on his throne, and Father God is up in heaven reigning, We understand that he surrounds us with his power and with his hosts. We will not fear. And when we know this, we can then praise. 
praise God. David says, I will praise God at all times. I will praise God because I've experienced his goodness. And now he says, I will praise God and tell others of his goodness. Look what it says in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. We see here a radical invitation followed by a radical affirmation. What is the invitation? It's to taste and see. See, this is what our world needs to hear from us right now, church. This is what the people in the United States, with those in Chicago and throughout the globe need to hear. First, they need to see a church that is confident, but then they need to hear a church that says, taste and see for yourself. This is an invitation to others who are afraid, to others who are struggling, to say, come in, taste of God, see what he's like. If I were to tell you if my mother-in-law is cooking, I'd be telling you about some really good things. And I could talk about her arroz con gandules, I could talk about her chuletas, I could talk about all the good stuff she makes. I could talk to you about my mom, how she cooks on Sundays and throws together a mean uh, beef and, and, and rice and all kinds of foods. But I'd be the best of friend if I invited you over to taste. I'd be a pretty cruel friend if I told you about it and said, go away. But I'm not inviting you all over today, though. When you know you got something good, you tell someone about it. When we know that our God is good, we know that our God is praiseworthy, regardless of our circumstance, we invite others to taste and see that the Lord is good. Try him for yourself. But don't just try him and throw him away, but really walk with him. See what he is like and watch what he does. But the reason David can give this radical invitation is because he also believes in this radical affirmation that follows. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in God. When you taste and see and you take refuge, you're going to be a blessed person because God's hand is on you. I'm not talking blessings necessarily of an earthly sense, but of blessings that go beyond this life. David says, fear the Lord, saints. He says in verse 10, the young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The world is watching. The world is fearful. And the world is waiting for us to be the church. I think we all have reasons for some angst. We've got some reasons for for some fear there. But in the midst of that, You take those fears and that angst to the cross of Jesus where he conquered sin and death and he gave us reason to hope beyond this life. So I would say this. As you go out this week and we're going to be home, most of us, that doesn't mean you've got to stay home in terms of your witness. We live in a day of unprecedented technology. At your palm is an opportunity to tell people to taste and see. It's an opportunity to give a phone call to that friend who you know is struggling. It's an opportunity to call that elderly person in your life 
and offer to serve them. It's an opportunity to reach out to that neighbor down the block. It's an opportunity for us to do the kinds of things the church has done in epidemics of past and in epidemics of future. When we're confident, we don't fear. So let's bless the Lord at all time and let his praise continually be in your mouth. And you tell others, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name, church, together. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we're thankful that there is nothing we face that we haven't been confronted with before. God, what's new to us is not new to you. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, you would allow us, the Church of Jesus Christ, and by church, I mean the capital C Church, not just the Brook. We're just a local church. We talk about your global church. Let the church be that voice of love and of charity, God, of sacrificial kindness, God, to not think of ourselves but look out for the interests of others. And, Lord, I pray that we would be the kind of peoples where history looks back and said, wow, how they loved one another. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Whether you're home or present right now, I want to invite you to stand up with me. We've seen who our hope is, our steady hope in troubled times. So let's now sing and praise to him as we conclude our service. God, we praise you that you are on your throne. You will never be removed from that place. In our nation, we pray for revival in our city. We pray for a revival throughout this world. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would pour upon us. Give us courage and confidence to speak your word with love and compassion, but with truth. God, I pray that people would come to know Jesus. They would repent of their sins and put their faith in you. God, use us, God. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Let's give our God a hand clap at home or here in person.